Good morning. Uh, my name is Jomo Thompson. I am one of the elders uh, on session right now. And today we're going to keep talking about love, which has been our uh, topic for the last five or six weeks. Um, I want to welcome you all. I'm glad you're here in the house. Glad you're here online uh, today. We love you, which might seem strange because we don't like necessarily know each other all that well. Um, but Paul writes in his book, um, to the Philippians, he begins by saying that he loves them with the affection of Christ, that God had a love for the people that was then in Paul, which then went out to the people. And so when I say we love you, not because you don't, you don't really want my love, <laughs> to be honest. You want what God has given me to love you with. And um, it's important this morning because I want to talk about where the power to love comes from. Um, I have found this current sermon series actually really difficult because week after week we were talking about Jesus' standards to love, and they're really high, um, particularly when, as we have done with Pastor Shannon, we, we, we orbit around, we circle the Sermon on the Mount. The standards of love are just so high, and week after week I'm just like, I can't do that. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, love your enemy, can't do that. Turn the other cheek, can't do that. Don't harbor contempt, don't harbor lust in your heart. I can't do that. The standards are too high. And it can actually be a little bit distressing, even concerning. Like, what does that mean about me as a Christian if I can't do what Jesus says to do? Um, so I want to talk about, and I think we know, if I said, well, where does the power to love come from? You'd say, oh, it comes from God. We get our power and our strength from God. And that is true. But we can forget, at least I've forgotten, uh, that there are things we can know about how we get that power from God and what God can do in us and through us, and particularly through his Holy Spirit. Um, today, this morning, is, is Pentecost. Um, it has been uh, 50 days since Easter, and it's a time when the church has traditionally celebrated the time when the disciples first received the Holy Spirit to empower them to carry out God's mission. So it all came together really, really well. That It's like, I need the power to love, look to the scriptures, Oh, the Holy Spirit gives the power to love. Uh, so that's what we're going to look at uh, today. But before that, I would like to pray. God, we ask for your help this morning. I ask for your help this morning that you would come upon us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Because without you, even if we understand the words, we can't live the way that you describe. We can't do what they say unless you are with us and in us. Thank you for these passages of scripture. Thank you for these people who came to listen. Um, help me uh, to be a passage through of what you want to say to them, and uh, take care of us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start with Jesus. Um, before Pentecost, about 50 days before, there was a promise that Jesus gave his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this was given as a, a passage of scripture, John 14, 15, 16, uh, that uh, is a long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples about what was to come. Suffering, hardship, he was leaving. But in the middle of that, he kept peppering in this idea, there's a helper coming. The Holy Spirit is going to come and help you do uh, everything that he was laying out for them to do. And so, uh, John 14, 
uh, verse 15, 16, 17, uh, Jesus talking to disciples says, if you love me, keep my commands. This is where I get distressed and depressed. Like, oh no, like, I can't do that. Uh, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Another advocate in addition to him. He had been their advocate while he was with them, but he was going away. They needed another advocate. Um, Jesus continued, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He is with you. He will be in you. Um, so two things to note here. Jesus is laying out this pattern. We don't have the time. It's a lovely section of scripture, John 14, 15, 16, but he kind of goes over these same points a few times. Love me, keep the commands, including love one another. Um, receive my help. Love me, keep my commands, receive my help. Um, the other thing to note is that Jesus was telling them that a change was coming in how they interacted with his power. That up until that, in that moment, there was this Holy Spirit who was with them that they knew about, but in the future, the Holy Spirit was actually going to be in them. So he kept talking. It was a long night. I I can't imagine how... Actually, I know how they remembered it all because the Holy Spirit helped them remember it all. <laughs> he, he even said that to them at one point. He's like, you can't take this all in, but the Holy Spirit will help you remember. Um, but he said to them later, John 16, towards the end of the conversation, he told them a little bit more about the Spirit and what was to come. In verse 7, he said, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And then on in verse 12, he said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So for me, there are two kind of astonishing things that Jesus said in this passage that are like, hard to fathom. The first is that Jesus says it was better that he was going away. Which I can't understand. I, from the point of view of the disciples, everything was better when Jesus was around. Right? Like, like when Jesus wasn't around, there was a storm about to kill them, and then Jesus shows up and the storm stops. When Jesus wasn't around, there was a crowd of people that needed to eat and not enough food, and then Jesus says, give me that bread, and then there was enough for everyone to eat. When Jesus wasn't around, they could cast out like minor demons, but the strong demons were too much for them, and then Jesus would show up and cast out the demon. It's always better with Jesus. <laughs> and if it wasn't Jesus saying this, I would say this was a lie. Better without Jesus makes no sense, except Jesus is the one saying it because the advocate was coming in his stead. This Holy Spirit is a, he is a big deal, so much so that having him in our lives is better than standing next to Jesus. It's his words. <laughs> it's, it's. The other thing that astounds me in this is that here in verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more now than you can bear. Um, how could there be something they weren't ready to hear when it came from, 
from Jesus. Like, Jesus is a, a perfect teacher. Like, when we learn, when we learn just as human beings on this earth, we have a pattern that we go through. We're exposed to something. At first, it overwhelms us. Then we practice, and then we master. It's how you learn to speak. It's how you learn to arithmetic. Musicians, athletes, um, programmers, people skills. You're exposed. You struggle. You practice. You master. So I don't understand how it is that Jesus can say to them, I can't tell you. He couldn't tell them what was to come because it's like, well, just tell them, Jesus, and then they'll be overwhelmed, but then they'll practice it. They'll work really hard, and then they'll get better, and they'll master it. But he's saying that, no, without the Spirit, without the Spirit, his very commands are too much for us. You can't just be told, here's what Jesus wants you to do. And be like, well, I'll do that because Jesus said it. It's not like anything else that we learn. He's saying we need the Spirit. They needed the Spirit. We need the Spirit. And so now we're going to jump in time. This is sort of a, a big, I should have like had a slide of a timeline, but it's okay. Uh, we're going to jump forward in time, about 50 days. Um, the story you know, we just uh, celebrated Easter. Jesus was betrayed. He was sentenced to death, executed on the cross, stayed in the grave two days, three days. It was like Friday evening to Sunday morning. Like he, he just hit the line of three days. <laughs> um, three days in the grave, uh, then appeared to the women, appeared to his disciples, encouraged them, taught them some more things, gave them some last minute instructions, and then went up to heaven. And before he went to heaven, he gave them one last instruction, which is stay in Jerusalem, until you receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will be given power to carry out the mission I have given you. And so they stayed in Jerusalem. Um, and the story picks up 50 days later in Acts 2, uh, verses 1 to 4. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they, that is the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So, a lot of things have been said and written about this passage, in particular with the gift of tongues, which is the ability or the Spirit enabling a person to speak or pray in a language that they do not know. And it is a very important, very large topic that is not our topic for today. Um, but what I, wanted to, well, what I wanted to note is that this is when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And I wanted to note how the Holy Spirit came upon them and why the Holy Spirit came upon them. I think tongues, this ability to speak other languages in this moment had a specific meaning for that moment. But there are a few sort of more global things to note about the Spirit. The first being, Jesus told them this would happen. That this filling of the Holy Spirit was exactly as Jesus had laid out from, from before his death, he told them. And then after he, he rose, he told them, wait, the Spirit's coming. It came just as he did. Second, the Spirit came to a group of people. And we're going to bounce around the book of Acts a little bit this morning, looking at some times when the Spirit came to help people. And very often, not always, but very often, it comes to a group of people seeking God in prayer and devotion and fellowship and fasting. Um, and then the third 
is that the Spirit enabled them to do something they had no earthly reason to be able to do. This wasn't them. There are ways to learn languages. I lived overseas for several years. I had friends who were missionaries who learned languages the old-fashioned way. Pain. <laughs> like just, just making, you know, learning the language one moment of making your fool out of yourself after another, of just pain. The disciples, for this moment, were just given it. They didn't earn this moment. This isn't something they studied and did. They could just do it. Um, but the Spirit didn't stop here. He didn't stop with, now you can speak in these languages. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that startling? It is amazing. It did startle people. But he did a lot more. And I want to talk, because we're talking about love, about two things that the Holy Spirit did for the believers throughout the book of Acts that I think can help us with love. And the first, maybe the biggest, uh, is discernment. The Holy Spirit is a source of discernment. The ability to know what to do in a given situation, to go beyond kind of general ideas of wisdom, general ideas of knowing what God wants you to do, and actually give you real-time, ongoing correspondence with God to know what to do. Uh, so what I'm going to do, seatbelts for everyone in the pews. We have seatbelt pews, right? No? Okay. Um, we're going to jump around Acts a little bit, uh, just looking at a few different um, stories. So there's a, a, uh, a slide with some scripture. I'm going to give the background, so don't just, you know, like read them all together. Um, but uh, in the book of Acts, we see that Peter was given discernment uh, in Acts 11. Uh, the situation was... Uh, in the early times, uh, in the early days of the church, the good news of the Jesus only went out to Jewish people. That was what they believed, that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of what had begun in the Garden of Eden through Abraham, through David, ends in Jesus for Jewish people, for the nation that God had set for himself. But Peter was called in a time of prayer through a vision to go and share the good news with non-Jewish people, with Gentiles. And he did, and they received it. And then he was called by the Jewish leaders or by the church leaders to say, why did you do that, Peter? The good news isn't for non-Jewish people. And he gave a defense. He told them the whole story. I was in prayer, and then I had a vision, and then this guy came to my house. And I didn't, and, you know, he, he, and then the Spirit stepped in and told him, told me, Peter, to have no hesitation about going with them, that is, those Gentiles. And then he goes to their house, um, and so there's a few things right in this one little tiny example that the Spirit gave Peter theological insight, that it was time to move on from an understanding that the good news was only for Jewish people. It gave him, like, real-time guidance, like a, like a GPS, like, no, go with them, <laughs> turn left now. Um, and also to not fear, not to hesitate, uh, which Peter was prone to do. Um, so in one little instance, Peter was actually given guidance, discernment, what to do in that moment. Um, this issue of, uh, well, I'm sorry, no bad. Um, in Acts chapter 13, uh, we see the calling of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas, by the way, the first time he's introduced in the Bible, it says he was a good man, comma, full of the Holy Spirit. Check it out in Acts. How many times a person who is praised or lauded is said to be full of the Holy Spirit? Um, but Paul and Barnabas were, were called, and the way it happened 
uh, as said in Acts uh, 13.2, while they were worshiping, that is the believers, the Lord, uh, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And that was a calling to go and take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to Gentiles. Which then caused an issue. Because after you had all these Gentiles uh, converting to Christianity, um, there became a question of, do they need to then go back and follow the whole Jewish law? So we're back to theology, theological difficulty. And this caused a stir. Paul was very firm that, no, these people have been set free. We have been set free by, by Jesus. But others, well-intentioned people, uh, you know, thought that, no, we need them to follow the rules that were laid out to, to our father, Abraham. Come on. Um, and so they had a council in Jerusalem, and they talked it out, and they, and they prayed about it, and, they, and they, they, they conversed. And they decided in the end that, no, these Gentile converts did not need to um, follow the Jewish law, particularly with regards to circumcision. And they issued a letter to the churches telling them that, in which they said, Acts 13, 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And that listed those requirements, uh, circumcision not among them. Seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. There is like he was a present in the council, like casting his opinion or, or letting it be known uh, what to do. Maybe this was the thing they weren't ready for when Jesus stood with them that night. The idea that God's love was for everyone, not for Jewish people. I don't know. Jesus never actually said what the things were they weren't ready for. He didn't say it. Um, but this was a major issue for the early church, and the Holy Spirit was there every step of the way with Peter and Paul telling them, now is the time for God's love to go to everybody. But they needed the Spirit to get them there. Um, one other example of discernment, maybe closer to our own uh, lives, is in the area of helping those in need. So the, the church had a problem. There's no slides for this, but the church had a problem in Acts 6. They had a, a store of food that they collected, and then they distributed it out to people. And the widows, uh, the more vul most vulnerable in their group, maybe they're with lower legal standing, maybe they had children, weren't able to get enough food. And a complaint went up to the apostles, our widows aren't being fed. And this concerned the apostles, but it wasn't a problem that they had the time to solve because they had a calling of their own to, to, teach, to devote themselves to prayer and teach the word. So instead, they deputized the first deacons uh, in history um, with the task of making sure the widows got enough to eat and that food was passed out appropriately. And these men were described as full of faith and the Holy Spirit and wisdom to pass out food. Which, again, it comes back to my, my, in my mind, you just need knowledge and effort to improve a situation, right? We talk about the problems of poverty in our own society. We talk about, um, you know, how little money, just, you know, the cost of a cup of coffee, <laughs> the cost of a cup of coffee a day can feed X number of people. Or can't you see the difference between the very wealthy and the very poor in our society? Isn't it enough that we see it and know it and do something about it Apparently not, because even in the early church, you would think that Peter could have just stood up and said, hey, everyone, wait in line while the widows get food. Now you know that, so do it. But that's not what they did. Instead, they entrusted the task to a group of men full of the Holy Spirit to make sure that it was done. And it does take discernment. I've been 
I'm volunteering. I'm turned around. Which is Samaritan's House is over there. I've been volunteering at Samaritan's House once a week for the last couple of months doing food distribution. And I can tell you, I have now seen it. It takes discernment. It takes integrity to not take advantage of these people coming up in very vulnerable positions. It takes uh, patience to be yelled at. I'm just in the back, like, moving boxes around doing what I'm told. But the people who are in charge have a great deal of discernment and integrity and patience. It is not an easy thing to feed those in need. And they knew this in the early church. If anyone should have been able to do it without the help of the Holy Spirit, it would have been them. But they did it with the help of the Holy Spirit. In particular, discernment and wisdom. Okay. That's one thing. Uh, The second thing the Holy Spirit gives us that enables us to love is courage. The Holy Spirit is a source of courage because following God's ways can be frightening. Um, Jesus, if we rewound back to John uh, 14, which we're not, but if we did, he told them, the world's going to hate you because of me. The world's going to turn you over to be arrested, to be beaten. Some of you will be killed. And this happened because everything Jesus said that would happen, happened. Um, but this was hard on the disciples. And so there is a passage, uh, Acts 4, 29 to 31. Uh, the setup here, the, Peter and a few others had been arrested threatened, told, don't talk about Jesus anymore, set free. And Peter and his friends, they went, they got with the group, and they prayed. And this is what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word of God, uh, sorry, the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Sometimes when I see people put down Christianity, they almost think like early Christians were like dumb or insane or naive, that they didn't understand the risks. They were just desperate people. These were not foolish people. They understood how dangerous it is to be threatened by your local government with imprisonment and beatings and executions on false pretense. They understood that, and they needed help. And they went back to the person, to the Holy Spirit, that Jesus had told them, to the helper he gave them for strength, and he gave it. Stephen, also, our friend Stephen, the um, food distributor. Oh, sorry. Stephen was one of those first seven deacons um, in uh, Acts 6 and 7. He began as a man full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit, distributing food. But he was very soon after that arrested. And basically put on trial for sharing Jesus. And he responded with an extraordinary Holy Spirit-inspired explanation of why Jesus was the culmination of all the promises of the Old Testament, and for this he was executed. For this he was executed. But as he died, um, we're told in Acts 7 that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, that The Holy Spirit's courage, power, strength in him was so great that he died not cursing the people who killed him, not afraid, not alone. But with the Holy Spirit's power, he had the courage to be what God had called him to be. But there is something the Holy Spirit doesn't give us that I think a lot of us wish he would. Um, And that is control. 
over our lives. A lot of prayers that I hear, a lot of prayers I hear from my own mouth, <laughs> are me asking God to control the world around me, make it better for me, make it safer. He didn't make it safe for Stephen. Make it easier. He didn't make it easy for Peter. God, you, you know, didn't Jesus say all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him? Then Jesus, control the world around me and make it safe. But the Holy Spirit didn't do this. In fact, he took control from them. And um, one story you guys may know, because it's kind of wild, in Acts 8, uh, the apostle uh, Philip is traveling on the road. And the story begins and ends with the Spirit. I'll fill in the rest for you. But it begins with Philip uh, being told by the Spirit. He sees a chariot with an Egyptian eunuch in it. Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. As he gets close, he realizes that the eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. And they get in a conversation. The eunuch's like, I don't understand this. Philip's like, I can explain it. They get up in the chariot. Philip begins with the book of Isaiah, with words given by the Spirit, explains to him that Isaiah was about Jesus and that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises. The eunuch believes and is like, I want to be baptized right now. And so Philip's like, sure, I'll baptize you. So Philip goes to baptize him. And then... Acts 8.39, when they came up out of the water from the baptism, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. It's a cool story with a lot of wild events, uh, but at no point is Philip in control of what is happening. He hears the Spirit, he goes and does it, he doesn't even be told, he's not even told by the Spirit, like, hey, someone needs the gospel, go stand by the road. He's like, hey, there's a chariot, stand by that, and just listen. And then when he hears, he starts to understand what he's supposed to do. And he speaks the words of, you know, of wisdom that God had given him, and then when he's done, the Spirit's like, and now it's time for you to go. You know, like a little dandelion seed caught up in the Holy Spirit wind, like he's just gone. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful, wonderful story but it's not one where the, 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 the hero has much control. Well, the hero has control. The Holy Spirit's doing great. <laughs> but Philip isn't the hero of the story. He's just along, along for the ride, doing what God had told him to do, doing what Jesus had laid out for him to do. Love me, keep my commandments, receive my help. Um, okay. One other uh, passage on no control, because I know we love talking about not being in control. Uh, Paul, near the end of his recorded ministry in the book of Acts, uh, was saying farewell to the church in Ephesus. Um, Paul, if you've ever looked at a map of Paul's missionary journeys, he like left Jerusalem, did like a circle, came back, did it again, and then again. So he would plant a church or hear about a church, go and meet with them. So he was, he's, he's, was constantly kind of meeting and leaving and meeting and leaving. And so this is one of his farewells uh, to the people in Ephesus. He tells them, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So, we have been jumping around a lot, and we haven't had a chance to hit, although it is very fascinating, just do yourself a Bible gateway, the word Spirit and Holy Spirit. The word Spirit in 
Acts, and you will see that so often Paul was given direction on where to go next and what to say and who to talk to and who not to talk to and who to help and who not to help. Um, and he explains here to the Ephesians that he was compelled by the Spirit, not in control, compelled by the Spirit, following the Spirit, not knowing what was going to happen to him. And something that strikes me about this is he was exceptionally close to God. It wasn't a lack of communication. He wrote letter after letter after letter filled with extraordinary inspiration from God. His connection is strong. He simply wasn't being given control over what was happening. His connection wasn't the source of control or a map or a guide. It was just a connection to the living God who would help him whatever he needed in that moment. Think of Philip. Go stand by the chariot. Why? Just stand by the chariot and see what God does. Um, so, yeah, lots of great things from the Holy Spirit, but not control, not over our lives. He's in control. We can trust him, but it doesn't mis give us control. So then kind of the last obvious question is, how do we get this power to love? <laughs> you know, where does it come from? And I know we know, I said this at the very beginning, we know it comes from God, and that's absolutely true. Um, but, and we've sort of been circling around it throughout a lot of these passages. I mean, the Holy Spirit really just seems to come to people who ask. You know, they ask consistently. They ask faithfully. They ask in prayer. They ask in fasting. They ask in devotion. They ask as a group. They just kept doing it. I heard a, I heard a pastor years ago, he was preaching on Pentecost, and he was like, hey, Pentecost means 50 days. Uh, that means that from the time of Jesus' uh, resurrection to the day of Pentecost, the disciples were mostly just sitting, waiting, praying, and fasting. And then, after 40 days or 50 days of prayer, Peter talked for like 10 minutes. And we, and we get so excited about what he said, and a little less about the 50 days of waiting. A little less about that... Um, just asking God to come and help. Um, something I noticed in the last year or so, uh, many of Paul's letters actually open with a description from him to his recipients about what he prayed for them. And I think they're all great. There's one in Ephesians here, there's one in Philippians, Colossians, I think one of the Thessalonians. It's really very fascinating. Just like six sentences, it's easy if you're like thinking of it as a preamble, just kind of blow through it, but no. There's really good golden like guidance on what to pray in that. And so just in closing, I wanted to share one of those with you, which Paul prayed, uh, telling, he explained to the Ephesians that he kept asking, kept asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give them, give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know, that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. And if you're looking for a place to start in sort of like building a habit or continue a habit or, you know, uh, praying and seeking God's power, those prayers from Paul are a really great guide. Um, and also we pray quite a bit. <laughs> uh, there'll be people up front to pray for you. We're praying tomorrow night, right? Yes. Monday night, Lighthouse, 7 p.m. People getting together to pray. People pray here Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon. 
14th on Monday. Okay. So it's in the guide. Uh, it's in the guide. It's on the website. Uh, prayers at FCCS. And like you can learn. You can ask when do we pray. Come together and pray. Um, and with that, yes, let's pray. <laughs> God, um, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for all the words, all the examples that you gave through your believers of people, men and women who trusted you, trusted the filling of your spirit to change their life and enable them to do the things that you had called them to do. I pray that amidst everything that we talked about, there's just little moments where you, the Holy Spirit, have been able to bless the people listening and that this will be something they can take and use in their life uh, to love more like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.